tēnā koutou katoa, te tuatai ke te mihi ki a koutou, hui hui mai uh, i rangui te manaakitanga tō tātou ringarawa i roti i tēnei uh, te whare o hori tapu. Uh, kia tika ka tingata i te mihi ki tō tā, o tātou mate uh, i te tau ko pāhuri. Ko wera whakaminenga i haere ki te pō, kone uh, te mihi ki a rātou, te tangi te poro aki, ngā reire e haere, e haere, e haere atura. Kā tira, āpati hono tātai hono ko rātai ko te hunga mate ki a rātai, āpati hono tātai hono ko tātai ko te hunga ora ki a tātai a tēnā kautau katoa. Good morning. I probably should have coached my poor daughter on how to pronounce some of the names in the book of Ruth. Um, Lou Dobbs was on Fox News this week talking about the caravan travelling through Mexico and was pronouncing... I uh, was talking about them arriving in a Mexican city. They said the caravan has arrived in the city of Oaxaca, <laughs> which uh, was some elements of that in the reading by Ruth, out of the book of Ruth this morning. Uh, so I will do better as a father next time. Um, you hear a lot about tribalism in the media today. You hear about Trump supporters and Trump detractors. Uh, the Labour Party conference is this weekend, so you hear a lot about Labour Party acolytes uh, and National Party sycophants. In terms of iwi here in Tauranga, you hear about hauraki uh, in Tauranga Moana. So that word tribe, we hear it a lot. Tribe, tribe, tribe. So in a sense, well and truly gone are the heady days after the end of the Cold War when the Berlin Wall collapsed uh, and the sense of world unity was the promise before us. Tribes are back in a very, very big way. But I guess I want to start in this place. They are not truly tribes. They are actually sides. So they are sides full of individuals who take no responsibility for each other. They are sides in which each person affirms themselves and affirms their own opinion. We actually have a lot to learn from actual tribes. From actual tribes who journey together, who change, who risk, who die and live as a community of people together. And the reading from Ruth this morning is about just such an experience of being part of a tribe, or two tribes to be exact. So Eli Melech, Naomi, Mahlon and Shilion are all from Bethlehem. So in the book of Ruth, this Farno, these members of this tribe from the land of Judah, they move to Moab. And at this time, there's friendly relationships between Judah and Moab. Now it's important to state that because only a little bit later in the Old Testament, in the time of David, that is no longer the case. The Moabites actually become tributaries to the kingdom of David. So they become enslaved and indentured to the kingdom of David. But at the time that is being referred to in the book of Ruth, there are friendly relationships between those two tribes. So this family moved to Moab because there was a famine in their land, but also importantly, Moab at that time 
was a central hub on the highway between Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, Egypt, uh, and Syria. So essentially they moved for work. So if you've ever moved town for work, they were doing that a long time before you had the idea. Now Moab and Judah are on the eastern and western shores of the Dead Sea. And Bethlehem, the town that uh, Naomi and her family come from, is about 100 kilometres from the Moab region. So it's a little bit like moving from Auckland to Hamilton for work. But when you put it like that, it's not such an enormous journey uh, after all. But whilst they're there, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, he dies. So after his death, the head of the family then moves to her two sons, which is Mahwan uh, and Shilion. So what they did was they both married local women, Ruth and Orpah. So the equivalent today, from my Tangata Whenua perspective, is if you move from Auckland to Wellington, uh, so Auckland to Hamilton, it's like two Ngāti Whātua men living in Hamilton and marrying two Waikato women. Now when Mahon and Shilion died, Naomi, who was a Judean, was now amongst another iwi. And importantly, in this book, there's no mention of grandchildren. There are no mokapuna that are mentioned at any point in this book that have come from those two Moabite tribes. <coughs> what that means is there are no genealogical or whakapapa connections for Naomi in the region of Moab. And so she chooses to go home. And in the reading we got towards the end of it, what she does is she releases her two daughter-in-laws in some ways to an uncertain future. She says, go back to your mother's house and may they deal with you as kindly, essentially, as you've dealt with me. But the reason she did it is not an unkindness. She did it for kindness. Because whilst their, their future going back to their mother's houses was potentially uncertain, her future was actually certain because she was now a widow. And widows in this period of history, widows throughout the Old Testament and indeed in the New Testament, are the poor. Now, they're not the poor because only widows of poor men, widows were only you know, from families of poor men. The reason that widows are poor is because it's a fundamental rupture with the society that they're a part of. So they have no access to society, they have no access to the economy, and so they're entirely dependent on the charity of others to survive. And so her fear and her kindness by releasing Ruth and Orpah to go was that if these two young women joined her, who were both widows, their future would be worse than her uncertain future. Because their future, again, testified to in our Old Testament, would be a future of abuse, of prostitution, and of poverty. Now, whilst the idea of moving from one town or one region to another is something that is quite common to us here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, um, the idea of family relationships like that is a little bit outside of most of our understanding. <clears throat> but not for everyone who lives in New Zealand. And as I was reading through this, I was reminded of a man and his family I knew in our time in Maryville, Paramjit Singh. Mr Singh is a Sikh uh, and he is the head of his family and he lives here uh, in Tauranga. 
Now Paramjit is from Gujarat uh, in India uh, and he moved here some a decade ago. Uh, he uh, owns all the properties from Mirabal, right at the Mirabal Butcher through to the dairy and other properties around Tauranga as well. He started with just the dairy and slowly built up more property over time. And in those businesses work his whanau uh, and he has a range of houses as well where they live throughout Tauranga Moana. Now, he and I had some disagreements over the years, uh, but as I got to know him, I got to spend more time with him, I got an insight into what his life is like for the Sikh community here in New Zealand and in Gujarat. So, Mr Singh is the eldest son, and so he is now the head of his household. And what is really interesting was he sees no division between his household in Gujarat and the households he has brought here, between the businesses he runs in Gujarat and the businesses he runs here. All of them are under his authority and all of them are his responsibility. And whilst there's some distance of some, some kilometres between the two places, there's no distance in terms of his responsibility and his authority. So particularly in relation to woman and his farmer, he is responsible for the marriage of his sisters to other farmers. So he is the one who organises, negotiates, debates uh, who they're going to marry, the dowry, uh, and what they're going to do uh, once they are married. That's his responsibility up to the point that they are married and then that responsibility goes <coughs> to the household they are married into. So their health and well-being becomes the responsibility of that other family. And he has no more responsibility for them, including in the instance if their husband was to die in their other household. They continue to be the responsibility of that other household. He is also responsible for organising the marriages of his younger brothers, which he assured me was harder than organising the marriages of his younger sisters. Um, so he is responsible for, again, organising the marriages, negotiating the dowry, but also the health and well-being of the woman who marry into his household. So when they come to his household, be it here or be it in Gujarat, they are under his authority. He is completely responsible for their health and well-being. So the brothers obviously work in businesses, but Mr Singh is the one who makes the decisions around all aspects of the health and well-being for his farmer. So if all the men in Mr Singh's whanau died, touch wood, if it happens, there is actually no real backstop for the wives within that society. Because they can't run the businesses, they can't access the finances, they can't be a voice for their whānau in their community in any leadership role, and they can't take leadership in the temple, or as we'd understand it, the church. They're entirely responsible, uh, they're so entirely under the authority of their male leadership. Now this bears some, some passing similarity to the situation that Naomi found herself in. So there is no the reason she is so clear about them going back to their mother's households is she's from a society not that different from the one I've described that Mr. Singh is a part of. And so she knew that it was better for them to go back to their mother's households because she couldn't offer them a certainty in the future 
going forward. And so this is what death actually means. This is why we have an All Saints and an All Souls commemoration. So in our wider New Zealand society, we're actually largely removed from anything more than the individual impact of a person's death. But in the wider communion of the Anglican Church, there are some congregations, church communities throughout the world today who live in a society far more similar to Mr. Singh's and to Naomi's, where the death of someone is not just the death of an individual. And like Naomi's experience of death, it's a community-shattering event. Because in some communities, when a person dies, it changes the relationships within a whānau, it changes the relationships within a hapū, and it changes the relationships within an iwi, within a tribe. It changes the power dynamics, changes the leadership roles, and it changes the health and well-being of a whole community. Everything can change because of a death. So the death of a person can very much be the death of a community. And reflecting on this idea made me think of our own experience here in Tauranga So I'm a member of the Ngāti Ranginui tribe, one of the three tribes in this area, and my hapū, my sub-tribe, is Pirirāko. Every year uh, we have representatives who go across the hill to the Waikato to the celebrations of the coronation of the Māori king, which is called the Koronehana. For our current Māori king, two Haitia, those celebrations are held every August. At the last celebrations, Hui Kafahu Kawe, who is the senior Komatua in Hairini and the senior Komatua for Ngāti Ranginui, uh, spoke on behalf of our tribe at those celebrations. And in his speech he said that in the two months prior to August, on the 22 Marae in Tauranga, there had been 53 Tangihana. There had been 53 deaths. In my Marae, which is Potu Tarangi, the one opposite our, comp- our competing church, the Catholic Church uh, in Tupuna, uh, we have had, we're at about 12 Tangihana this year, so 12 deaths. For our Hapu, we are now over 20 deaths uh, for this year. And so what does that mean? Well, this is what death actually means. Death of a person is the death of a community. So in our marae, that is most obvious when you look at the people who are speakers at our marae, who sit on our pipeline. So when I arrived uh, over a decade ago, I had some rainbow views about how it was going to be when I came back to the marae, which is that I'd be able to sit in the second row and listen to our senior speakers and maybe do some work in the kitchen, basically fluff around and not have to do a lot uh, for a period of time. But when I came back, there were only four people uh, on our pipeline. That was Uncle Martin, Uncle Bobbin, Uncle Tommy and Uncle Lewis. Now, over a decade later, oh, I'm sorry, at that time, uh, the, the Uncle Martin and Uncle Bobbin said, Oh, you can come and sit up here now. Uh, and so 
I've been sitting on our pipeline for a reasonable length of time, from the age of 30, early 30s to through to 21, which is what I am now. Um, having sat on there for a decade, our pipeline has changed. So Uncle Bobman has passed away, Uncle Martin passed away not long after I was here. Uncle Tommy had a serious stroke, uh, and so now he can manage normally for a, a funeral, a tangihanga, normally one or two porphyry uh, or speeches before he gets really tired and has to go home and have a rest. Uh, and Uncle Lewis just recently had a stroke and other complications and is unable to spend significant amounts of time on the pipeline either. So only 10 years later, our pipeline is now really three young, handsome men, myself, uh, my cousin Carlton and my cousin Ricky. Um, and there's been a transformation for our marae. Those four men I mentioned were all retired. Uh, all of them had grown up with the old people who spoke the Reo Māori on our marae. Some had learnt it, some hadn't. Um, and all of them uh, had, had, had other ways of meeting their needs at home. Didn't have any kids or young people at home. The three of us who now sit on our pipeline all have little kids. Well, two of the three of us have little kids. All of us have jobs. None of us are retired. Uh, and we're all second language learners of Te Reo Māori. So there's been a transformation for our community. So the death of those individuals has been a type of death for our community. Now, Joe and I and our whānau moved out to Tipuna in May of this year. I assume I'm correct because my wife would have scribbled this out if I got it wrong. May of, I'm not very good with dates. Um, so Piriraka are very much our community. That's where we do life. Uh, and there are very few in any Marae community who are actually running the place. As there are very few on any vestry and very few in any congregation who are actually active in running and keeping the thing ticking over. And so, as people die, fewer and fewer people take up the roles, the responsibilities, carry the mana of a transformed community. So this weekend, yesterday, I was at an unveiling for Hayata Burrell, who died at the age of 40. Uh, and the weekend before, we had a tangihanga for Ivan Budwa, uh, who I was away in Taranaki, so that was carried by others. The death of individuals has and continues to transform our community in Piriraka. The death of individuals has and continues to transform the church in our city and wider. And the transformation leads to a death of other things. So as I've said, I've been on the pipeline for over a decade. Now our lives are intimately linked to our Tūranga Waiwai, to our place of home and uh, a place of identity. And the sadness for me is often not so much the sadness of the death of individuals. There are a few sad deaths, but some people live out in the fullness of years, and that's all right. But there are a few sad deaths that we do see. But first and foremost is the sadness of the death of relationships, and not necessarily to those people. So for John and I, John and I moving to Tipuna was a dream, but it was also the death of some relationships in Maryville. We've spent many years in Maryville, and the reality is if you're not in a place, then your relationships are 
historical relationships that are nice to reconnect with, but they're not the living relationships that you had at that time. And here in St George's we have the same uh, sense of the death of our involvement here. We're so busy at the Marae that we have far less capacity to be involved here as well. And that in itself is a type of death. So I come back to it again, death is not for the individual. Death is for the tribe. And tribes, therefore, are not sides that we take. Tribes require something of us. They require a sacrifice. They require a role. They require that when an individual dies, something about you also dies because of the change you have to make to accommodate that death. So tribes can welcome us as much as they can reject us, but tribes are first and foremost a place where all of those who have died, with all the relationships that have died, where all of the changes and uh, responsibilities have died, are never forgotten, but remembered. Nārena, a pōne te mihi ki a koutou, ka wharonga wai ki mene kūkū, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa.